0: real noom user compensated to provide their story in four weeks the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week individual results may vary fiction science fiction horror fantasy crime lgbt thriller you have now entered the house of mystery with your hosts Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on KCB, 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and
1: 1050
0: AM Palm Springs.
2: Uh, Joining us today is what we call a horror author and his new book is called 324 Abercorn and it's Mark Allen Gunnels. Thank you for being here, Mark.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: So, Mark, um, now this isn't your first book. Looks like you've written quite a few. Um, How did you get into writing and writing in horror? Well,
1: um, I've been interested in horror probably longer than I really should have been, but I I grew up in a household with very few limitations. Um, I can remember my family watching the original Salem's Lot miniseries when it originally aired in 1979. Mm -hmm. Um, And they let me be in the room watching it with them. I was five. (laughs) And uh, I don't know. I, I just... I've always been addicted to sort of the adrenaline rush of horror, the sort of limitlessness of the storytelling possibilities with horror. And I've wanted to write almost since I first realized that that's how books came into being, if somebody just sat down and wrote them down. Um, and since I always loved horror and it's always been my, Favorite genre it just seemed natural that that's where my own storytelling proclivities would sort of lean toward
2: so what kind of what kind of horror influences you like what what is it you like old classic horror and and um, or some modern stuff like where, where does where do you fit
1: um I I love a wide range um, when it comes to my own writing, what I think one of the biggest influences on my writing would probably be the um, original Rod Serling's Twilight Zone. I, w- I saw that a lot when I was young. I loved the surreal sort of atmosphere to it, like it's our world, but things are just slightly off-kilter. Um, and I am drawn to... Um, horror that I that I call subtle and ambiguous horror. Not that I don't like some of the more extreme stuff too, but I I love the the stuff that has more atmosphere, the stuff that sort of lingers with you. Um, you know, there's there's horror that can be shocking in the moment, and then there's that insidious horror that sort of gets in your brain and follows you out of the movie theater, and you can't quite get it out of your head.
2: So, you kind, of, you kind of like a little bit more of a thought out, intelligent type horror then?
1: Well, I just feel like horror has the potential to be just as deep or intellectual or, you know, powerful as any other genre. Not that I don't enjoy just a good adrenaline rush, you know, roller coaster ride. But I definitely think, you know, horror can get a bad, bad rap, but it has the potential to be as meaningful as any other type of, of storytelling.
2: Wow, yeah. So this uh, new book, 324 Abercorn, uh, where did you get the inspiration to write this book? Where does it come from?
1: Um, I really got the inspiration from the city it set in, which is Savannah, Georgia um it's a place that i love to visit um my husband and i usually go there at least once a year um unfortunately we haven't been able to go this year <laughs> due to everything that's going on but typically we go in the spring and i just love that city i love the atmosphere of the city the history of it um and it's you know ask anybody there they'll tell you it has the reputation of being the most haunted city in america And um, there's ghost tours everywhere and all these things. And um, it was on one of the walking ghost tours around the city, I sort of fell in love with a particular house that they talked about on the, the, uh, the tour, which became sort of the model for the house in my book. And it was really my love of the city and that particular house that sort of sparked the idea that became the novel.
2: Wow. So it's, it's got a supernatural angle to it. Do you yourself believe in the paranormal and supernatural or is it just something that you um, see or experience a lot with the savannah area?
1: Um, I, I'm fascinated by the subject but personally um, to use an old reference, I'm more of a, a scully than a moulder. I'm a little <laughs> bit more of a skeptic. Um, I love to hear compelling stories by other people Um, it's just that I've never had any sort of experience myself so I can't really count myself as a resolute believer in those things but I do find it fascinating and I do love to explore that kind of stuff in my fiction because I I just think it um, like I said there's a limitlessness to horror where you know you can just go anywhere I mean you have to you know, you have to play fair and by the rules you set in the internal reality of your story, but really the sky's the limit on where you can go with it.
2: So I was just, I'm just wondering so if you don't really have much experience in, in paranormal or ghost stories yourself, um, where do you draw uh, to come up with writing about spirits and what happens in the house or what happens to different uh, people, characters in your book?
1: Well, the imagination is just a (laughs) glorious thing. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I I see other people going through life and I sometimes wonder, like, how is it that everyone isn't constantly just making up stories in their head? Like, I don't know how people go through the day without doing that because my imagination is always on the go. And everything I see in life gets filtered through this lens where I start thinking like how can I sort of twist that how could I make it you know creepy or or suspenseful and I I don't know that my brain just seems geared that way
2: so you just sort of create all of these stories to the company you know cuz we we talk to a lot of fiction writers I'm just curious on on their you know a process of 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 it so these these ideas and stories do so they come to you from you're walking down the road and you see a couple of people talking or doing something, or um, is it come to you at night in a dream? Or so, uh, let's talk about your process. Where does where does it start?
1: Um, I mean, it literally can be anything. It can be a conversation I overhear at a restaurant. It can be something I see on the news. It can be um, something that my husband and I encounter when we're on vacation. Um, it's like I'm just always looking for that. And most people who know me know that, you know, anything you tell me could get turned into a story at some point. Mm. And sometimes it sort of gets in the back of my head. So it won't be immediate. Like I won't immediately see that and think, you know. Sometimes it is. I'll see that and I'll say there's a story there. Sometimes it's like, you know, months or a year later, I suddenly think, you know, that thing from back then, that would, I would—I know how to make that into a story now.
0: Where does your inspiration for your characters come from? Does it come from people you know? Uh, for example, the character Brad in this book, your main character.
1: Um, he's not really based on anyone I know. There's—he's not based on me, but he. There are some of his reactions that I feel like might be my reactions because he starts out more as a skeptic. Um, his background is a little similar to mine. But um, for the most part, I just, I start with the scenario. I sort of think, who are the people who are going to be in this scenario? And maybe I have a kernel of who they are. But really, for me, it's in the writing that their personalities really start to develop. And sometimes that then directs the course of the story itself, like it might veer off in a direction I didn't expect, because the characters develop in a way I didn't expect. And I get to a point where I'm like, okay, well, the personality this person has, they wouldn't do this thing I thought they would do now. So they're going to do something else, and the story's going to change a little bit, and
0: I actually am excited by that part of the process. Hmm. So your, your characters change. So <laughs> there's definitely an arc to uh, their development in your books.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I want to make them feel as authentic as possible. And, I mean, real people are affected by what's going on, and they... You know, there may be a core of who they are that remains the same, but, you know, attitudes can change, opinions can change, um, all based on what you experience. So it just makes sense for certain stories, it's going to have an impact on the characters and going to sort of alter their personal trajectory as well.
2: So, so do you take, uh, is there people you know in life that uh, you take at, and make them characters, and or, or do you kill them off, people you don't like?
1: <laughs> um, I wouldn't say that. There are, sometimes I take aspects of people and work them into a character. Um, there are, there have been a few times I've, just really taken a person I know's personality and put it in there. But usually that's people I like. But um, I have had, um, I've done a few contests before where the winner, I write a story for them with them as the main character. But, I mean, like, it's not like I take a story and then just put their name in it. Like I send them a detailed questionnaire about their life, and I go through their answers and get an idea for a story based on that. And um, usually one of the questions is, you know, how comfortable are you with horrible things happening to you in the story? Um, <laughs> because you, know, you never know where it's going to go. And, I mean, years ago I did write a story um, about an anthology where the contributors to the anthology were being killed off in the order they appeared in the table of contents. <laughs> and I contacted real writers I know, and asked if I could use them for that story. And um, I had a few people who said no, but I had a lot of people who seemed, you know, to be kind of excited about the idea. So I did kill off a lot of writers
0: <laughs> in that one. <laughs> I'd love to be killed in a book.
1: <laughs> I like I said a lot of people were really excited
0: <laughs> about the idea.
1: So... Jesus. But I wanted to make sure I had their permission before I killed them off.
2: Oh, jeez. I, I wouldn't get permission. I would just start killing them off, I'll tell you. <laughs> Everybody that was bad, I would just... Alan
0: killed them off in his head already, so it's just an extension of that.
2: <laughs> I'm just killing them. Just brutal. <laughs> just brutal. So what do you think... So what's... what's Who does horror the best? Who Who is your favorite... Uh, to watch, like if someone, an author or a movie maker or somebody's going to release something new, and um, who are you excited uh, to see or hear?
1: Oh, well, that's a, that's a all-encompassing question, but I'll try to narrow it. I mean, it's a little cliche to say, but I do love Stephen King.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I grew up reading Stephen King. I think he is a great storyteller, and I do get excited every time he has a new book. His son, Joe, is also fantastic and somebody I buy every new book from. Um, some of the more recent authors I really like are um, Josh Mallerman, Paul Tremblay. I, I do get every new book they have. Uh, there's some small press writers, James Newman, um, Aaron Drys, um, John R. Little, Brian Knight, Brian Hodge, um, all of those people. I also always get their books when they come out because... I just think they do really good work, um, you know. Film-wise, I grew up in the '80s, so you know I have a lot of respect for the, you know, the late Wes Craven. I loved his work. You know, John Carpenter. Um, so I, I have a lot of still '80s nostalgic love for
0: those '80s horror films that I grew up on. It really was the golden age for horror no, yeah, horror movies anyway, for sure the 80s. It, it was.
1: I feel like I went to see a new horror movie like every week. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, it. some of them were of better quality than others, but there was so much to choose from back then. I, I It did feel like a great time to be a horror lover.
2: All the great slashers. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I, 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 so where where do you where do you see yourself going with this uh, career in, in in horror writing? Do you want to get into uh, writing films or scripts or anything like that?
1: Um, that's never been something that particularly interested me. I mean, I love movies, but um, I don't know. I don't feel like I have a particular penchant for writing screenplays, I've, not that I've ever really tried, but I just have such a love of, you know, writing short stories, writing novels, writing novellas in the prose form. That That really is just my focus. And I mean, all I want to do is to keep doing it. I mean, I like getting published. I like, you know, hearing from readers. I like, you know, making whatever money I can. But All of that really is gravy. Mostly I just love the process of creating and just always want to be doing that.
2: How is it in the um, horror world, when you're writing these books and and novellas and things like that, um, does it um, affect what gets published, uh, you being gay?
1: Um. You know, that was a worry I had early on, particularly when I was younger, before I had ever published anything. Um, because, really, it may, it may have been known in the industry, but until, like, Clive Barker publicly came out in the early 90s, like, I didn't see a place for openly gay authors in the horror field, field. And that was something that I worried about, like, is there going to be a place at the table for me? And, I mean, I will admit, um, it was nothing malicious, but early on when I first started publishing, um, I did encounter some publishers who, again, not maliciously, I I really feel like they thought they were doing me a favor, but were just, you know, warning me, like, you know, being openly gay is going to hurt any potential career you might have. The heterosexual male fan base of horror isn't going to be interested about reading books with main characters who are gay Um, it was suggested I should you know specifically market my stuff to a gay audience um, instead of like the mainstream horror audience Um, I did discover that I feel like those people I encountered their minds were still set like a decade back and they weren't really giving the horror audience credit for a certain level of sophistication and i've found that you know most of the publishers i work with don't aren't concerned with that story is story character is character and by and large the feedback i've gotten from readers is that you know they that doesn't bother them and in some cases they even enjoy seeing characters that particularly before, you know, the last few years, you might not see a lot of in mainstream horror. So to them, that was sort of like a bonus. Like, you know, it can take a familiar story and make it fresh again when it's through the eyes of characters that aren't typically in those types of stories. So I actually, you know, not found that it's been too much of a hindrance.
0: Yeah, lots of people are tired of that final girl trope. Mhm.
2: Mm. Yeah. And and your character like you say you got Harold what that's a drag queen mean. So so you'll put any type of character into your horror book. It doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, I mean I guess I figured the world is full of a diverse array of people. So horror fiction should be too. I mean and so yeah, I mean, you know, some books will have a more flamboyant characters than others, but you know, if I don't, it, I don't stop and pause and think, "Oh, is this character going to be okay in a horror novel?" Because I'm like, anyone can be in a horror novel, anyone can be in any kind of story. Because, like I said, the world's a diverse place, so why not fiction as well?
2: So you know so when someone uh, picks up your book and and reads it, um, kind of what 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 experience do you want them to have and what do you want them to walk away
1: with? First and foremost, I want them to have an enjoyable experience and you know that doesn't you know it's hard, so that enjoyable experience may entail a little bit of trauma. but you know, I want them to sort of get swept away in the story, and mostly I want them to enjoy the characters. The characters are very important to me because as a reader, I find if I read a book with compelling characters that I get very interested in, I'll follow them anywhere. So I want readers of my stuff to really find the characters interesting and just want to see what they're going to do next.
2: Hmm. So you really develop your characters then, like you you make them a full character.
1: I mean, I, that is something that's very important to me, because again, like as a reader, that's what draws me in, and as a writer, probably my one of the most joyous parts of the process to me is when the character starts to develop and I sort of fall in love with that character, and I want to see what they're going to do next. Um, and it can be sort of thrilling as a writer to be that interested in your own characters. And so, yeah, it is important to me that they have full personalities, that they be, you know, not all characters are going to be likable, but I, I try to make them all at least compelling.
2: So, you know, a lot of writers we have um, say... Um, their characters are like their kids. Do, do you feel that same way?
0: Well,
1: not ever having had kids, I can't say for sure. But <laughs> I do feel um, attached to them. When it comes time for some characters to hmm. be killed off, as is going to happen in horror fiction, it can be it can be sort of painful when you're sitting there and if you. Are sort of in love with that character. You don't want to have to kill them, but you also want to be truthful and fair to the story. And if that's what has to happen in the story, you you sort of just have to say your goodbyes and let them go.
2: Kill them off. <laughs> that's enough. <It's, laughs> yeah,
1: you just it just has to happen in horror. You you just it comes with the territory.
2: So I guess you're not going to have a character that reappears in several books somewhere down the road or anything?
1: Um, I do actually have a a lot of connections between some of my books. Like, some of them are very direct. Like, you know, I did a whole series of books that took place at um, a college, the my alma mater, actually. So even though they're not all direct sequels to each other, There are recurring characters, there are references to the other stories, and then sometimes it's even, like there's a a side, a very incidental character in 324 Abercorn, who was the main character of a book I wrote, The Cult of Okasta, and at the end of that book, he moved to Savannah, and so he popped up there. And in the book I'm writing now, I just casually have a character reading a book by Bradley Storm, which is the main character of 324 Abercorn, so I do sort of like to make those little connections sometimes between my work mm, Clever
2: um, So, now did you do you have a website uh, of your own that people can go to and find you?
1: Um, I, I have a, a blog that I update semi-regularly um, which is markgunnels.livejournal.com and um, i I do a lot of just talking about writing about the horror. Uh, I post some free short stories on there. I do a lot of interviews with other authors on there um, and things like that and then you know I have my facebook Instagram Twitter stuff that everybody has to have these days,
2: <laughs> yeah, so your fans can follow you um, yeah. wow so how do you now so with all this stuff going on or, or do you feel? Um, stifled in your writing somehow or does it slow you down or does it make you write even darker than you do now?
1: Um, I I know every writer has handled this whole situation differently. Um, For me, it's actually really increased my productivity. Um, I went through a period, um, I'm back at work at my day job now, but I was furloughed for two, two months and obviously that came with some some worry, some anxiety. So I tell myself, "Okay, I'm just going to treat this time like I'm a full-time writer. I'm just going to. That's the mindset I'm going to have. Since I have all this time, I'm going to be getting unemployment. And for those two months, I sat down, I wrote, you know, an entire novella. In those two months, and then now that I'm back at work, like that's really carried over. Like I'm still writing every day. I'm writing probably more than i have consistently in a long time i'm halfway through a new novel so like for me the the silver lining of the situation is that you know i decided to channel all my frustration and anxiety into the writing and it you know that's really sort of kept me sane and kept me going
2: Wow. That's great. Uh, there's, cause there's a lot of people, um, we talk to that, um, can't do anything. They're unable or they've lost some creativity during this time. So, yeah. so that's good. And yeah. there's
1: no right way or wrong way to deal with it, but you know, mm. so definitely no shade to the, the people who are struggling, but you know, for me it's, it's been a good outlet.
2: Yeah. It's crazy. I bet you all the, uh, horror writers that write about uh, you know disease and plagues and you know, all that stuff zombies they're they're in heaven now it's true
1: <laughs> yeah and you know I see especially at the beginning of all this like people were online talking about you know it's a great time to reread the stand so <laughs> people don't necessarily shy away from it during this time they sort of you know tunnel into it
2: yeah yeah well I think I think it's a it's a you know, sometimes people need to laugh and sometimes people need to get into it. I mean, a, a lot of those movies have done really well um, yeah. with the shutdown. So, you know, uh, I don't know. Um, who knows where it's going? Yeah. Right, so, so so, what's your favorite thing to do outside of writing?
1: Um, well, reading. I'm <laughs> a, addicted to books. I'm, I'm standing in a room where I'm just surrounded by books everywhere um, so I'm always reading a couple books at a time uh, I, I used to love live theater I still love it I just can't go see it <laughs> right now but um, but luckily I live in an area that you know typically has a very thriving theater community so I love to go see plays hiking is another big thing for me um, so I've still managed to get in a little hacking, but I'm looking forward to the next time I can go see a play. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. hopefully it's not too long, and you know, we'll have to see how things go. I, I, I don't know. I don't have as much hope for the U.S. as uh, the world, but... Uh,
1: <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's a little, little <laughs> odd. I, I work at a um, university, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, we're basically two weeks out from when the new semester is supposed to start, and it's still unclear exactly how we're going to handle it.
2: Well, you just go to work with a gun. Oh, no. <laughs> Teachers can sanitize and carry a gun and just do it all now. Come on. Oh, boy. Get in there. Get, get in there. That would be a great horror. You just go in there and start shooting everyone. Oh, just well, unfortunately,
1: that's too much of a real-life horror these days. Yeah, I, think.
2: I tell you, it certainly is, actually, now that you say it. Uh, now that I say it. Um,
0: Stephen yeah. had, a, had a, it wrote as Richard Bachman about a school shooting years ago, a, book, a little novella called Rage, and he's since had that taken out of print because it was too close to home, apparently.
1: Yeah, although it, that is a really good, powerful novel.
0: Yeah, oh yeah.
1: But, uh, but yeah, I I feel like, you know, that was his choice to make. I feel like sometimes fiction that really deals with the real life problems can help us sort of mentally deal with them a little better because we can read a fictional story mm-hmm. about something. So it it's not it's horrifying, but not as horrifying as when you see it on the news. but it can get you thinking in different ways in a way that when it's real, it's just too much to handle and you can't really process it the same way. I feel exactly the
0: same way. That's that's the way horror should be looked at as a a vehicle for that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that horror can do best is it can take real-life things that we have trouble that just seemed too big for us to process and safely put it in a story so that we can deal with it in a way like, okay, for tonight I can close the book and don't have to, you know, it's not real, but it does actually help us think differently about things um, and to, to process emotions that are too overwhelming in the real world. But, I, I do think it can be a great metaphorical way to help people deal with real-life problems. Totally.
2: Do you have any um, advice for someone that's brand-new writer?
1: Um, write as much as you can. Read as much as you can. And also, my advice is always have as much fun as you can. Because, you know... It's hard out there when you're trying to publish and that can get frustrating and it can get disheartening. But, you know, I know people who write things that they don't even really enjoy because they think it's what's going to sell. But then if it doesn't sell, because there are a million different reasons why something may or may not sell. So if you didn't enjoy it and then you don't sell it, then you don't, you really don't have anything. But if you had a lot of fun and you have trouble selling it, well, nobody can take the joy you had from it. So, And I actually think the best fiction is fiction where I can feel the writer's joy in it, where I can tell they were having a good time and it, it's kind of infectious. So write as much as you can and have fun. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. I mean, you need to always strive to get better. You need to strive to you know get into good markets. But you know, don't beat yourself up to the point that it becomes like a, like a chore, and something you dread doing. Just keep that fun in it.
2: Yeah, be That's like, uh, t- uh, you know, titty titty gang bang.
1: <laughs> okay. Oh no! I, every scene I wrote with that character, I was always laughing. <laughs> I bet. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's uh you know that's an interesting uh th- th- I think that's Mike's name when he's off air
1: but. Oh, okay uh-huh. well I'm not saying he stole it from me, but I'll let him use it <laughs> uh,
2: no, I'm just giving him a bad time wow well you know um it's it's certainly an interesting category and certainly um You know, it's good to have you on the show and talk to you. And uh, um, the book we've been focusing on is 324 Abercorn, and we'll be having that on our website. People listening can do one click, pick up the book, or find uh, the author's uh, blog page. We'll have that up there, too. So our guest has been Mark Allen Gunnels. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us.
1: Thank you very much for having me on. It was a good time. Thanks, Mark.